a new hope rising. Darkness has once again been overthrown. Beauty unveiled and unrivaled. Sounds of life fill the air. I inhale the crisp notes of creation like a fresh glass of cold water. Vivid in colour, rich in texture, a feast like no other. Those who stop to eat, hunger no more. Thirsts are quenched, satisfied and safe, grounded and true to the few who stop to eat. So I just speak that for you as well, brother. Bless you, love you. Look forward to keeping going together, mate. Bless you. Friends, it's Morgan Snyder, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. You're among the brave, you're among the few, and we are going to dive deep into another really risky category, a big idea in this path and process of masculine initiation. This is from session three from the 2019 Become Good Soil Intensive There is a good bit of content that I had to pull because it simply doesn't apply um, in in an audio recording setting. It was purely for live uh, environment. And we do walk through the brilliant film Antoine Fisher. So I would encourage you after this audio or before to watch the fullness of that film and use it as an opportunity to risk breaking some of the limits that perhaps you have placed on who God can be and what he can do and how he can do it. So friends, let's turn to this session and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and shine your light. You are a teacher and you are a faithful, joyful guide. Jesus, we're asking for your supernatural power to have your way. We give you fresh access and fresh permission into our souls. We are the sons of God. We want to become the sons of God. Let's go. 21 of the introduction. Mr. Perry, will you read the opening paragraph of the preface? entitled Understanding Poetry. Understanding Poetry by Dr. J. Evans Pritchard, PhD. To fully understand poetry, we must first be fluent with its meter, rhyme, and figures of speech, then ask two questions. One, how artfully has the objective of the poem been rendered? And two, how important is that objective? Question one rates the poem's perfection. Question two rates its importance. And once these questions have been answered, Determining the poem's greatness becomes a relatively simple matter. If the poem's score for perfection is plotted on the horizontal of a graph, and its importance is plotted on the vertical, then calculating the total area of the poem yields the measure of its greatness. A sonnet by Byron might score high on the vertical, but only average on the horizontal. 
A Shakespearean sonnet, on the other hand, would score high both horizontally and vertically, yielding a massive total area, thereby revealing the poem to be truly great. As you proceed through the poetry in this book, practice this rating method. As your ability to evaluate poems in this manner grows, so will, so will your enjoyment and understanding of poetry. Excrement. That's what I think of Mr. J. Evans Pritchard. We're not laying pipe. We're talking about poetry. How can you describe poetry like American bandstand? Well, I like Byron. I give him a 42, but I can't dance to it. Now, I want you to rip out that page. Go on. Rip out the entire page. You heard me. Rip it out. Rip it out! Go on. Rip it out! Thank you, Mr. Dalton. Gentlemen, tell you what, not just tear out that page, tear out the entire introduction. I want it gone. History, leave nothing of it. Rip it out! Rip! Be gone, J. Evans Pritchard, PhD. Rip, shred, tear, rip it out! I want to hear nothing but ripping of Mr. Pritchard. We'll perforate it, put it on a roll. Not the Bible, you're not gonna go to hell for this. Make a clean tear, I want nothing left of it. Rip it out, rip! What the hell is going on here? I don't hear enough rip. Miss Keating. Mr. McAllister. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know you were here. I am. Ah, so you are. Excuse me. Keep ripping, gentlemen. This is a battle, a war, and the casualties could be your hearts and souls. Thank you, Mr. Dalton. Armies of academics going forward, measuring poetry. No, we'll not have that here. No more, Mr. J. Evans Pritchard. Now, my class, you will learn to think for yourselves again. You will learn to savor words and language. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Now, see that look in Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature, has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Mr. Hopkins, you may agree with them, thinking, yes, we should simply study our Mr. Pritchard and learn our rhyme and meter and go quietly about the business of achieving other ambitions. I have a little secret for you. Huddle up. Huddle up! We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Now, medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, 
of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? You notice their faces. <clears throat> the faces of those young men. Um, I was one of them. I remember the first time I saw that clip, sitting in class, John was teaching a Christian worldview. <clears throat> Funny place to run into Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society. Um, I thought at the time, but like those young men, just were not their hearts burning. Like, that's what I felt in my chest. It, my heart just wanted to come out of my chest going, really? It's more than rhyme and meter? There's more than I've come to believe? Um, one of the pieces, I want to just begin by way of introduction. Um, it's a prologue before we get into today's session. But... Uh, I was at a Thanksgiving with relatives years back, and uh, usually back then it just pace of Thanksgiving by how many beers I could drink <laughs> and get away with it. Yeah. And I was talking to a future in-law, and uh, we're, she asked me what I do for a living. And uh, for those that are uninterested, that's a very hard thing to respond to when you do what we do. Um, for those that want it, it's it's good. And uh, but thankfully now I just tell them I'm a chimney sweep. And uh, <laughs> and so I asked her what she did for a living, and we were chatting, and she was a new girlfriend um, to a brother-in-law of mine, and uh, she got all excited. She's telling a story about a cancer research lab she works with with rats and mice, and she's done it for years, and and um, the computer side, the data side, and, and um, thought, wow, this is interesting. And um, she was going on to describe this, and I could just feel the Holy Spirit say, this is very important. It was just like a presence saying, pay attention, pay attention. And so she's going on to describe the, this research, which it's basically BPH, and and um, as a not understanding that world too much, I'll oversimplify it, but uh, in the prostate, there's constriction in the prosthetic, uh, urinary uh, prosthetic duct. And so she does research on these mice, and I thought, wow, it's fascinating. So she's like, pulls out her computer and showing these pictures, and she shows this first picture. She's like, here's what I do. I cut these ducts, and I, do, I put them on slides. I'll do hundreds of them, and I'll you know, like, where are the beers, you know? And, <laughs> and then I could just feel like God in me saying, son, son. Like, and it wasn't that clear at the time, but looking back, I go, oh, okay, that was him. And she showed this picture, and she said, this is, a, um, this is a picture of the duct. And then she goes on to say, and here's, here's some other ones, and, and these are the ducts. And, um, and I said, wait a second, that's the same thing? She said, yeah, these are all the different angles of these ducts. And what she does is she cuts 2D pieces, 2D pieces, and they create these 3D images. This was probably back in the day where they can probably do that now, 3D imaging. But at the time, it was all these 2D images. And that next day... I was out in the park running. I was like, what, what was that about? 
And he said, um, this is what you think of me. This is your experience of me, the 2D. And he said, this is who I am. He said, You're, you have um, a very limited scope. It's not that it's not true. It's simply insufficient. And what began that day, it was years of unfolding, was seeing the profound tragedy of the limits that I have placed on who God can be, what he can do, and how he can do it. And it's limits that we all place on God. Like this idea of God of our understanding. Like, that's God of my understanding. And that's overrated. Like, I need more than that. And the discipline and the joy and the frontier to then pray, God, I choose to break the limits I have placed on who you can be, what you can do, and how you can do it. It's one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray. So even getting into the session, I'd like to do that now. Jesus, in this afternoon, the sun shining, winter disappearing for a bit, and springtime coming, just as you bring the green of new growth out of decay, God, I want to believe that you are more than we have asked for or imagined. God, as you say in the scriptures, incomparably more for those who believe, God, that you are immeasurable, that you say now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. Lord, according to the power that is work, that is at work within us through Christ, I want to agree with that in my soul in this day. God, I choose to break the limits that I have placed on who you can be. And I want to receive you for the fullness of who you are beyond my understanding, beyond my comfort, beyond the capacity that I've set for myself. God, I pray through your power that you would break the limits on what I've set for what you can do in my life. God, you, you transcend time and you're beyond imagination. I break the, the limits that I've placed, God, on how you can work, who you are, on what you're doing, and how you're doing it. And I agree with you. I give my soul over to agreeing with the fullness of who you are, God, beyond my understanding. God, you say, um, in the prophet Isaiah, do you not know, son, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. By his understanding, we cannot fathom. That's good news. That's our frontier. And the youthfulness in us might grow weary. The young men might stumble and fall, but those whose hope is in God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not grow faint. And that's what I'm asking, God. You would strengthen the weary by breaking the limits. And I, would re I want to receive you into my body, my mind, my soul, my imagination, 
Receive you into my spirit. Deep calling unto deep. Receive you into my story. Receive your revelation unto my past. Receive your promise into my future. And receive you now, here afresh. Let your wind blow. Let your breath revive me and strengthen me. Here. Show me the limits I place. Give me the courage to know you and learn you. Not as I've learned, but as you truly are. More of you and to more of me. It's one of those other just powerful prayers we can pray. I give more of me, more parts of me, to belong to more of God. More of God. Saturate me and strengthen me in my inner being as your son. In Jesus' name. Going home next leave. Yeah. Hey, where you going home, pork chop? When your mama quit tripping and send me my money. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, fish? When you going home? Fish. Fish. Where you from, Fisher? I'm from under a rock. That would make you a medical miracle, semen fisher. Where'd you spend your childhood? Nobody wants you. Nothing. Worthless. I hate you. I was born in prison two months after my father was murdered. I understand you like to fight. It's the only way some people learn. Send me to the brig. Here's the brig right there. Lock yourself up. You looking for a discharge, Fisher? That's where you're headed. What's up? Where you been? Me? Yeah, you. I gotta get back to the ship. Running away how you handle your problems? The good Dr. Davenport, he may have all the answers to all your problems and all your questions. Ain't that right? You are addressing a superior officer. You understand me? Do you understand me? Well, what do I do? Because I don't know what to do. You need to find your own family. Why do I have to forgive? To free yourself so that you can get on with your life. My mother left me. I My understand. father. I understand. <laughs> Nobody's taking anything else away from me no more. I think you're beautiful. Thank you. You never know, son. These things, sometimes they can escalate. <laughs> People grow. People move on. You've grown. It's time for you to move on. I'm still standing. I'm still strong. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our friends. We also pray for peace in the world and in our lives. I'm going to lean into Antoine Fisher's story in the session to go after some more of God. It's a true story um, of a really good man that was orphaned. Um, Antoine Fisher actually was born in prison. His mother birthed him in prison and was forced to give him up, but she would not relinquish her rights as a mother, and the father, his father, was murdered by a girlfriend. 
And so he was put into the foster care system. And uh, the people that were intended to mother him actually abused him and harmed him. And what we experience in Antoine is a really good man that's orphaned, that's trying to navigate the complexities of a man's world as a boy. And lacking so much insufficiency and so much lack, um, he kicks into this cortisol-driven fight-or-flight, and he doesn't have the capacity to love. He accomplishes a lot. He can't love in relationship to men, to a woman. It's a very complicated life. Um, before we go more into him, I want to be curious about this question of how is it that God is coming to restore us as sons? Because we've gotten into the father wound pretty deeply. This message, this story, it's the heartbeat of boot camp and core ransom heart. Um, but often you find that healing of the wounds of the father is actually the doorway to get into even deeper places of the place of God that was intended to mother us. It's very fascinating. In Genesis, it says, let us make God in our image, or let, let us make man in our image. And so God made them in their image, male and female, he created that. <clears throat> Guys, this is fascinating to think about. That from the heart of God, the image of God, the expression, became male and female. That God, God is not a gender spectrum. He is the headwaters of what's intended to be male and female. In other words, it's gender full. He's the fountain, he's the source, and the expression of God on the earth was meant to be male and meant to be female. And there was something we were to know about God that was meant to seat our soul and to orient us to be a robust capacity so that we could live and so that we could love. It's fascinating. Just to, like take away the, our, our kind of current knowledge and figuring out and just and just kind of peel the layers and see the, the story, the nature of things. You know, like my, my old uh, mentor, um, Skip, do it like you're, you're stupid, not like you're smart. Like we oversolve things. He's a handyman and he taught me a lot of working with my hands. Uh, that's brilliant advice. Sometimes we just oversolve it. The scriptures say that before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of dead, holy plans for you. This is Jeremiah prophesying. So he's saying, this is the voice of God before I placed you in the womb, shaping you. I knew you. So there's something revealed about the eternal nature of our soul. God had us in mind. And then he had a shaping of us that was in the womb. If you think about this, when we are in our mother, 
We all share that in common. We all have a belly button. We are all connected to a woman. We didn't breathe for ourselves. We didn't eat. We were fed. We were sustained. We were provided for in every way in this womb. It was the first kind of um, expression, first answer to the soul's question, what is God really like? Just think about this, this formation for nine months. We knew no other place. We knew her voice. We were never hungry. We were never cold. We were never lonely with just a lullaby of the soothing of her heart that her body was a shield to muffle the, the, the dangers of the world, the harms, the sounds, speaking all of intention. Okay, things go sideways, but this is the intention of design. Some experts have called in life uh, kind of stages the first three months after birth, the fourth trimester. Something radical happens in that time. That the umbilical cord's cut, and now it's a choice. But in that moment, the first move was intended to be baby to mother, skin to skin. God designed it for us to literally feed on mom, this life giver, this life saver, and to only be able to literally mechanically feed on her by looking at her, literally catching her gaze as she catches our gaze. We were meant to be fed and nourished. The stimulation of feeding causes the stimulation of milk. The more you want, the more is supplied. And breast milk is this wonder of the world. They still haven't been able to scientifically create a better nutrient source. <coughs> See, there's something in this fundamental place that's so um, feminine. <coughs> because the father does answer the question of validation. Of, Do you have what it takes? But mom speaks to something even deeper of self-worth, of the deepest place of am I loved? Am I worthy of love and belonging? And the message, when mom makes that choice to feed us, to protect us, and provide for us, is that you are safe, you are loved, you are worthy of love and love, love and belonging because you exist. That's it. It's not earned. It's not, um, it's because you exist. See, we're forged by a father in love, but we're formed by a mother. You're formed by her. And these stages are so, just the, the, the neuroscience um, on this is just, it's in breakthrough right now. And it's just proving things that we've known since the history of mankind, right? It's written on our hearts, but like the, there's 40,000 synapses, these connections of neurons, between neurons, Per um, second, forming, forming for the first time um, in, in a child the first year of their life. The brain doubles in size. There's just formation and movement and growth and maturity all in the safety and well-being of mom. It was her touch. It was her comfort. It's her care. It's her physical proximity. It was meant to engage all our senses. It's a fascinating study. David Brooks um, in this New York Times article, he refers to this Austrian physician 
um, Rene Spitz, and they had this orphanage in 1945 where they wanted to take extra care of infants, and so they sanitized the whole place to protect them from disease. And the children received first-class nutrition, first-class medical care, and they were not touched because they didn't want to harm the child in any way. And the results were catastrophic. 37% of the children died before the age of two. And they found it was because they weren't touched. Just the power of a loving touch, a loving presence, a loving proximity. There was another study um, in the 40s of these Harvard students. It was this fast, it's called the fame, it's called the Grant study. And they basically tried to figure out like what's the greatest predictor of positive life outcomes. And that's subjective and it's hard to figure out, but they did things like um, chronic illness and dementia, and even outward expressions of like career happiness. The number one indicator was a loving home. A loving home, loving relationships in the context of a home that was safe. See, there was this whisper to our soul that began then, what is God like? What is God like? And it was meant to encapsulate all of our senses, our smell, our taste, our touch, our sight. David Brooks, he's just a brilliant author and researcher, wrote another book, Social Animal. And I was reading this a while back, and... He talked to him about the power of smell, and he said, researches show that it is the most important sense. In other words, people that lose the power of smell in childhood grow up to have more harm and trauma than any other sense. Statistically, if you lose that, more than sight, more than taste. And I was thinking about smell and going, I don't know if I buy that, I don't know what that's like. And so I, that night at dinner, I, I was talking to my family and said, hey, let's talk about smells. Like, what's your favorite smells? And, and Joshua right away said, oh, garbage trucks. I'm like, that's weird. And uh, I said, Joshua, that's fascinating. Like, garbage trucks. Like, and, and we started talking about his, his experience of garbage, truck, garbage trucks and his childhood. And then I started putting, putting it together. That Sherry, he's first born. Sherry was a stay-at-home mom. And their childhood on our little street was mom and Joshua. And in our suburban neighborhood, there's no kind of community, there's no HOA, and so garbage trucks come six days a week. And so it's just a garbage, garbage truck break. So Joshua's childhood, what his soul remembers was being with mom, being delighted in it. And every time a garbage truck would come by, she'd pick him up, she'd run him outside, and he'd go down Choke Cherry. And they, they would follow the truck, and the drivers would let him pull the levers. And in his body, what he remembers is, I'm with mom, I'm delighted in, I'm safe, and I pull this lever, and big stuff happens. Right? It, it's literally like perfection in a moment. And so in a moment, he knows it's garbage trucks. He doesn't understand why. But what was being imprinted on his soul is while you're being nourished and nurtured and tended to, you are over time being released to be fully masculine. Do you see that? The power of even smell. She is formative, and it's deep within us. It's meant to give us emotional security and resiliency. The number one um, 
an indicator of shame resiliency, Brene Brown, in all her research, says it's worthiness of love and belonging. And that was meant to come from the seed of mother. And even in the, the formation of oxytocin, it's, it's the cuddle hormone. And I'm not a researcher, but you know, I, I spent a lot of time in this, trying to understand the human heart. And, and what, what I've come to learn from mentors in this is, is oxytocin is just this kind of miracle hormone that is, it, it forms resiliency in us in so many ways, from illness to stress, resilience. And, um, and just the antithesis of cortisol to balance us and to give us kind of a, 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 a bandwidth to handle stress. She was meant to communicate our, uh, just this all-sufficiency, never lacking, never lacking. Um, there's just so much history or research that um, kind of has revealed that even the right brain and this the emotional centers end up being the foundation for the development of the left brain. And the left brain like thrives when it has this capacity for emotional well-being, emotional intelligence. Um, and, um, and, and just the, the, the basis, I think what I'm trying to get to is there was a basis that the soul was intended to experience. It was intended to be an expression of the heart of God. What is God like? What is God like? And what's fascinating is when you go to the scriptures with a worldview that's open to God as mother, you begin to see it with a whole new life. Believing is truly seen. And it, it goes, just to touch on a few, like in Psalm 91, which many of you may be familiar with, where it says, The Lord Almighty is how it's translated. But whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And you know, the English language is very limited. But in this Hebrew, this word, this, this um, name for God, El Shaddai, it's a very fascinating and complex and nurturing word that in the English language we have singular and plural, but there there's a duality. And what it meant was the double-breasted one. So it's literally saying the name of God is the double-breasted one. They are your refuge. And here you will hide, be hidden from the fowler's snare. You will be hidden under the cover of this wing, these feathers. And here you will find refuge. There's this, this mothering picture of God tucking you under a wing and caring for you with sustenance. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people. My reward is with him. He will tend to us like, a, like the flock, like a shepherd. You will be gathered, the lambs will be gathered in arms and carried close to God's heart. Gently led those that have young. Isaiah 60, you will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at the royal breast. And then you will know that I am God. You will know that I am God because you're nursed at the breast. That's crazy stuff. Like, that's the Bible. It's a Bible. It's so foreign because we distance ourselves from this because the harm is seated in such a central place. Our souls cannot orient without mother. 
but that mother was meant to be centered in the mother part of God. Isaiah 49, heavens raise the roof, roof, earth, look, wake the dead, mountains send up cheer, God has comforted his people, he has nursed, is beaten up, and is beaten down. And then Isaiah 66, it says, I will, I will pour robust well-being into her like a river. God says, I will pour my life into you like a river. God is a river of life. You will nurse at God's breast. You will nestle at God's bosom. You will be bounced on God's knee as a mother comforts her child. So I will comfort you. And here's what it says. And then you will see all this and burst with joy and feel 10 feet tall. Did you know the feeling of bursting with joy and, and feeling 10 feet tall was meant to be in the seat of knowing an intimate knowledge of God as a mother, as a lifesaver, as a nourishing one, as an all-sufficient care giver, your great defender. We were sitting around with some guys years ago, and I asked the question, when do you burst with joy and feel 10 feet tall? We haven't talked about any of this. It was fascinating. We all went around and said, when's the last time we remember feeling 10 feet tall? Every one of us, it was a story of accomplishment. It was something we earned on some level, not from some fundamental place of resting in who we are. When do you burst with joy and feel 10 feet tall? There... Um, is something that God has made available. It's in the fabric of creation, and it has been assaulted, just as the place of sonship with the Father has been assaulted and devastated. The seat of mother has been devastated, and the harm that it causes as fruit for us as kings is equally as devastating. As a king, I bring to my kingdom a question in my fatherlessness of do I have what it takes, but in my motherlessness, I bring a far more damaging question. I bring the question of am I loved? That's the question my broken heart brings to my kingdom in the seat of motherlessness. Am I loved? And it's fascinating. Commodus and Gladiator, if you watch the story, you see a boy desperate to have the question answered. Am I loved? How did you learn mother? What was your soul's experience? Guys, this is deep waters. You, you, we can't get stuck in just even our cognitive kind of calculating of what this is like. It's deep, deep waters. But it's something that God is wanting to restore in each of us. It is essential to excavate the narrative of what you've come to learn God as, as mother. I was in an advance where Stacy introduced this category, and it was talk about unfamiliar. And I was working, offering with the team, and I remember being in the back of Kachina, and she got up and started talking about God as mother. And before I could react, my soul just said, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what is that? And it was just... Boom, 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 doors closed. And I've journeyed enough in the heart to go, oh, what was that? Right? Okay, and I didn't know. I had no concept, but I just know, file this away. Whatever that was, that's a big deal. And so I tucked it away, and then I, it, it pulled the string and unraveled me. 
And for a couple weeks, I was pretty perturbed about what I, I just I didn't even know what happened in the session. It was, it was glazed over. Dan Allender talks about the crime scene. Where he says some things, you know, we don't know, we don't remember, and our bodies have an ability, our soul, to block off for safety from harm and trauma. But you can visit this crime scene. And in like forensic pathology, you can start putting a story together pretty clearly when you look at the evidence at a crime scene. So I was in the grocery store buying a Mother's Day card. And I'm in the aisle, and I'm looking at, you know, I'm, I don't know, 30, you know, 30, whatever, late 30s. And so the late 30-year-old is looking at all these cards. Mother, you know, I've always been there for me. You've always cared for me. And then at the end of the aisle, there is this mom with a little boy in a, in a shopping cart. And she's holding him. And she said, you have destroyed my every last nerve. And she's doing that thing where it's like, I'm acting like not everyone in the store can hear me. And she was devastated and devastating him. And the boy in me was in the cart. And so the 30-something is buying the card. Mother, you've always been there for me. But this little boy is being validated in his pain in a story I didn't even remember. One of my mentors described, he said, the counselor helped him see. He said, I'm married to my mom. See, so many men never make a healthy detachment because she brings her question to the, the, the closest man in her life, right? Dad's her husband emotionally isn't present, and she starts bringing all her need and her brokenness to you. Then you grow up, and there's this unhealthy attachment. I was counseling this couple, and it was an intensive alumni, and the, the mother-in-law, so the... I want to just keep this confidential. So, so she was married to this guy that his mom moved to town. She's freaking out. Because mom's really nice and really trying to be helpful, but there's something very, you can just call it wicked at play. Kind of this codependency, passive-aggressive. And so we just did some listening prayer, like the story groups. And what surfaced was you, this was what was surfacing in the mother's heart, the mother-in-law, is you stole my husband. So her son got married, and with the wounded heart in the mom was saying, you stole my husband, right? And I will punish you for it. And she's feeling all the shame and fear of that because she's not in touch with her heart and her story. And so she's reacting to that. But the messiness of what happens when we've lost this, this seed of knowing God as mother, it's a personal harm, and then there's a there's just a, a level of, of cultural harm in it. Um, what we see of just like you know all this devastation of the misogyny and the, you know this hatred of men, but then there's this justified of why are men so cruel to these women, and so much of the objectification of women come from the man lacking. Um, understanding the dignity that she deserves out of a seat of not being mother. You see, there's this some missing piece, and so she's objectified because there's no dignity. And part of it is that she never presented herself as this life giver that, that, that had dignity, to bestow dignity, and then part of the initiation of the boy was for mom to lovingly release him. Release him, and so many moms don't because they don't have a whole heart. And I'm just trying to explain angles to get to um, what is your story? 
with mother. And often you can simply look at the indicators and they will help to paint the picture. When you look at pornography, and we touch on this at boot camp, I mean, we get more than touch, we go pretty deep, but there is a question that's far deeper than sex. And what I want to suggest is the reach, even more than the woman, is for feminine love. Right? First, we want to be soothed. We want to be comforted. We want to feel good. Even before we can feel strong, we want to feel good. We want to feel well. And when Eve, when the woman is your only source, it's a booby trap. Now you look at pornography and how much it would reach for a medication. And if you could get to the deepest level, part of the cry is a reaching for mother. And you look at marriages and how devastating it is when a man's only place to receive feminine love is wife. Because she can't be our mother. But you see, there's multiple people in us and the wounded boy so often reaches for her saying, will you mother me? And she feels the little boy and resents it. You saw in the epitaph, right? I thought I married a man, but in fact I married a boy. Like there's boys in all of us, but they're being restored. But in the situation where a man chooses to not engage the narrative of his unmothered places, he will look to her to be mother. Because here's the deal, guys. We can't live without it. It's breath, right? It's sustenance. And God presents himself in the fullness of what it was intended to be. The intervention of God is to heal and restore that seed of mothering. And just like fathering, he will raise the condition of motherlessness in us to heal that place in us. Your need for soothing is legitimate. Your need for comfort is legitimate. Your need for nourishment is legitimate. And God was meant to be the headwaters in which we were meant to find our way back. And so what is the story for you in being mother? I want to return to Antoine's story because one of the key pieces in this is to be honest with the narrative of where we have been unmothered. And this is a category for a decade. This isn't all for this weekend. But to be honest, and forgive, so that we our hearts can be released in disentangled, in unimatched, so that we can reattach to the vine, to the headwaters, and to the source. And so in this story... You see Antoine, and he's a man, and he's very gifted, and he's become accomplished. But he still has yet to be able to navigate relationships with women, with men in his life, with superiors. And through the work of a loving father in the seat of counselor, he goes back and he finds his birth mother for the sake of freeing his own heart to acknowledge the boy in the man goes back. To acknowledge the wound, to grieve it, to bless her and forgive her so that he can free his heart and he can become a kind of person who truly loves. And so let's watch 
the activity of soul of the boy going back. You want something to eat? No. Why'd you never come for me? Didn't you wonder where I was? Or what I was doing? Or what I'd become? Even if I was still alive? Didn't you? I've taken care of myself. I have. I've never been in trouble with the law. I read hundreds of books, written poems, painted pictures. I've traveled the world. I serve my country. I speak two languages. And I'm working on a third. Never fathered any children. I've never done drugs or even smoked a cigarette. I used to dream about you. My mother. My mother, you know, what you be like. How you look, your voice and your smile, even your scent. For all these years, I wondered about you. I dreamed about you. Didn't you miss me? On the way to school each day, I imagine you were just around the next corner. When I get there, you would be there. And in my mind, you was always there. Just can't find me. So I race to the next corner. And you'd be there. I know you would. Then you would buy me ice cream. And then you would take me home. I'm a good man. Speak 
and let the boy say, I thought you were just around the corner. Just couldn't find me. Find me ice cream. Take me home. The soul knows. It's looking to come home. And as you know, his mother carries huge wound herself, and so it's not about her. There's an assault, a war against our life, because of the man that God intends you to become. And all of evil throws their fury against the image of God in you. It was meant to be seated in the only truest foundation to know God as a mother and father. How have you come to experience that reality? Where do you experience being loved without condition, without earning? Where do you experience all sufficiency? Where do you experience abundance where you don't have to come through? Where you're worthy of love and belonging because you exist. As the brilliance of God in all of his wildness is to restore what's been devastated. This is a gospel of restoration of the whole human person. And restoring the seed of mother is at the epicenter of what God is up to. And it's been a heartbeat of really my last five years of looking to God as a mother to say, I will break the limits that I've placed and I will let you be the one who forms me, reforms me, to communicate you're worthy of love and belonging. And once you open those doors, oh my goodness, that, that you know, we just don't have time to unpack it all, but it's unbelievable the layers of which God can restore what's been devastated. And they just even found, the research shows in the human anatomy for what's spiritually true. Even like oxytocin, this mothering hormone, this cuddling hormone that's produced in mother and in child and breastfeeding, it's produced in humans by, uh, by appropriate touch, by strong and healthy hugs. It's produced in a human when we feel the experience of being trusted by another person. Isn't that amazing? When you experience, I am trusted, and they find me trustworthy. The transfer of care, you know, from a physical therapist to a doctor, a counselor. I remember sitting on a table just being worked by a physical therapist far beyond this, and and I would just look up into her eyes, and she's like, you know, it's misery. She's working me, needling, and it's painful. And, and I looked in her eyes, and I just, what I couldn't describe is I felt love. Because I was being cared for. My body was being touched. I do not let people care for my body. The first time um, a friend, a mentor, signed me up for a massage, I was on vacation and he said, hey, I got you this massage, and I freaked out because I don't do that sort of thing. Like, I'm not one of those people. Do you hear the limits placed on who I can be and what I can do? But he's a trustworthy guide, and I trust him more than I trust me and more mature. I said, all right, I'm going to do this. And I prayed, and Sherry was great. I was great. And, and her name was Rose. 
and it's this Thai massage, which if you don't know, it just means they work you, like they're on top of you with knees and elbows, and, and it's this wonderful torture. It just they connect you, and, and I sat in this chair after this, this kind of this private place with this lawn chair outside, and just tears were coming down, like tears. Like, what is that? And then it took a while to get in touch with the heart. But what's that about? I realized it was the first time that I allowed myself to receive love. First time. I looked at even all back of like the sexual intimacy with my wife. It was always this posture of reciprocity or, you know, I need to come through and I want to love. And it was always brokering. But with Rose, it was paid for. It was provided for, it was blessed, and I gave myself over to receiving love that I didn't pay for, I didn't earn. It wasn't about rose, it wasn't about the massage, it was about the mothering touch of God moving into my body through loving hands, appropriate physical touch. And just even nature, it's meant to be the seed of it, all this imagery of river, fountain, and robust well-being, I'll be like a river overflowing its banks, Isaiah 60 says, right? For 66. Oh, like flood overflowing, the high water mark, brimming. I walked out on the mountain earlier today, or this afternoon, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking through the session, and, and I'm doing what I do, kind of at war. And the sun was out. I love the sun. It's a very mothering thing for me. Just to just to receive vitamin D and be out in the warmth, and God just said, "Son, just, just stop." And it wasn't physical; it was my mind. He said, "I just want you to stop your mind." I stopped. He said, "I want you to sit." And I sat, and I sat on the first rock. And it was just in the sun, and I just felt the warmth. It was like just a, like a nest. And guys, when I'm communicating to you, this is so unfamiliar to me. Only moments ago, like only you know, a decade ago, it wasn't a category. Even as I listen to my words, it feels clunky because it still feels foreign to receive love and belonging because I exist, not because I earn it. But to, um, I've got a camp chair that JD got me years ago, and it's just my secret little joy bomb where I take it everywhere in a truck, and I'll just find a warm little spot, and I'll just sit, and it, it just kind of holds me. It's just like this little comforting thing. That I see it as God mothering me. Um, my, my wife is a Christian yoga teacher, and she offers a trauma-sensitive therapy through the practice of yoga to bring people into wholeheartedness. And uh, for years, she asked me to go to a class with her. For years, I said, no, kind of like counseling on the, on the long cell. Um, and one day I went to a class, and I'm in the YMCA in this gym with like 40 women, and I'm like, this is like the worst, you know, best they're going to think I'm a pervert, you know, worst like <laughs> sexual predator, like this is not fitness, like, and I'm on a mat, I'm trying to do this thing, and I can't touch my toes, and, and, like, and I realized after about 60 minutes I hadn't breathed, and at the end of the class, like most classes, that kind of one thing they do is you lay there, and you do nothing, but because I had exerted myself for 60 minutes, like, I, I, my body relaxed, and I just listened to my breath. Again, it was a moment of receiving in a way I'd never been available to receive before. And I could just feel these tears, and it was this mothering presence. And then over time, that was you know, a decade ago, and it's become a regular practice of Christ-centered 
um, yoga and science endorsement for yoga. It's like endorsing church. Like all kinds of wacky things fall under that umbrella, right? <laughs> I, but within the context, there's much of the kingdom of God if you find it. And um, I found it. And I go there. And one of the one of the things is like appropriate physical touch by a woman. That's not my wife. Like loving, communal, public, appropriate. I'm not talking about like like. A dark and deviant. I'm talking about the body of believers. We were meant to be a body. To free my wife to be my wife and not my mother. And to have a 65-year-old woman come and like touch my body and make an adjustment and communicate love physically. And one of the coolest things is to be in a class. This is very interesting. Um, to be around women choosing health that don't need anything. It's just a fascinating thing because we live in a world of people that need stuff. And you're part of church, right? Like, you, like, and you're part of Christian community. Like, man, people, it's messy out there. But to be around people, feminine presence that don't need something from me and are choosing life themselves, it, it's healing something. All these are just examples. The ocean. You know, the salinity in the ocean is the same as the amniotic fluid in the human body. There's something about the ocean that has a mothering property. What's fascinating is some of the most severe trauma, this is anecdotal, my experience, some of the most severe trauma in the seat of mother and men that I've encountered have given their life to wilderness pursuit. They're mostly guides in wilderness, fishing guides, hunting guides, are guys that spend their time solo in the wilderness because they can't yet even navigate relationship, but there's something about nature that it's, it's healing and they don't even know often it's mothering. It's like a womb, right? Mother Earth, Mother Nature, that, that originated in the kingdom. This one young man in intensive in Australia, um, a veteran, war veteran that had seen Australian Army, like some really wicked stuff, deeply broken, deeply unfathered, unmothered. And after the session, he went down into the ravine. He, he and on this cliff, and, and he's you know he can mountain, he's a mountaineer, and, and he can handle it. But afterwards, he just said, "I just needed to get in the tightest um, kind of proximate place of nature." And what he didn't know is it was a wombing reality. It was the safest place he knew. And so, so often it's nature that we will find the seat of mothering. But it smells and sounds, and you can begin to build this into your life when you have eyes to see it. On, on the Sabbath, every Sabbath, we'll light a, a scent in our home. It's the scent of Sabbath to train my kids, even though we're in a crazy world, and sometimes it's spinning, and sometimes Sabbath doesn't look different than other days. They wake up to the smell that this intoxicating calling out of today's different, and I'm hoping to implant in them that smell. We associate smells with different joyful things we do so it can be written in their souls. How is God wanting to mother you? When you open up this category to explore the narrative, God will not only begin to show you, but he will rush in in fierce tender kindness to soothe, to saturate, 
to satisfy and to allow your soul to feast. Feast on God. And what happens, the transformation, when you know that you're worthy of love and belonging, and when you that seat of I am love becomes more and more satisfied, you're able to bring a heroic strength as a king in a way that's just not conditional on the applause, on the celebration, on the response or outcome of any other person or thing. God says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, son, to me, eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. God, I want that. I want to be open to that. I want to believe, as you say, on this mountain, you, God, El Shaddai, the safe one, will prepare a feast of food for me and all people, aged wine, the best of meats, will destroy the shroud. You will swallow death. You will remove disgrace. For you have spoken. God, I confess that it's unsteady and unstable. It's, 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 it's a, such a risk to go into the places where we have been wounded, where I have been wounded in the seat of mock. But I want to risk receiving more of you into more of me. To know that you satisfy. That you care and it's not earned. To love me because you love me. Because you love me. Because that's what you're like. And I'm worthy of love and I love you. I want to know you. God, in ways that I've never known you. To be tucked in in a safe place, to be soothed and nourished, to be fed and feast on your abundance, to be well. To be well. God, I ask through your work, Jesus, that you would give me grace to forgive those who have harmed me in the seat of Mother through omission and ways they withheld. Ways where I lacked because they withheld and ways that I was harmed. In places where I was meant to be tended to and instead abandoned or worse, worse long devastated. God, I want to forgive so that my heart can be unimagined, disentangled and free to come home to you. And so by your grace, infused with your power, I ask that you would give me the power to forgive and bless those who have hurt and harmed and cursed. I release them to you, God. I release them to you. And I take back what I've given over in my search for you and your mother 
and I see it alone in heaven, in your heart, in your river. Would you overflow your banks? Would you be a stream that bubbles up out of dry ground? Would you make a way where there is no way? Would you comfort and provide? I open my heart to you in this place. Friends, as I said at the beginning, you are among the brave and you are among the few that you would risk to stay engaged to this point. Well done. Well done. We are just scratching the surface and this content is woefully inefficient and insufficient in bringing everything that you need and everything that God has. But the intent is it is to be like a string being pulled to disrupt, to entice, and to invite you to join the like-hearted few that are saying, I want my whole heart back. I want to participate in the process of masculine initiation in which God is leading and has my best intentions at the center of his heart. So this category on maternal deprivation and the restoring of secure attachment, I've taught on it in multiple environments. And there is a hidden page at becomegoodsoil.com forward slash mother. It's a sort of collective page that over time I add different teachings to, different book recommendations, different practices and exercises for you to explore. And so I would encourage you in this month to listen to this again, to go to that hidden page on Mother and to explore afresh or perhaps for the first time this category of receiving feminine love. One question I would invite you to consider as a sort of on-ramp is simply this. What is your story with food? Thinking about your entire life and just mapping out what is your relationship with food? What's it been like over the years? And what does God want to say to you about that? We stand as one man contending for the gospel of life. We receive your life, God, your indestructible life. We receive the reality that you are an bottomless reservoir and an endless spring of life intended to saturate our souls. So bring your life. We open the gates of our kingdom to your kingdom. Beyond our understanding, we say, yes, come God. We announce that we belong, that you are our home. There, there is a homecoming being readied for us, God. We belong in you and with you. And you have our best tensions in mind. Thank you, God. Friends, before we depart, as always, we have 60 seconds. I want to invite you in the space to linger just for a first visitation with that question of what is your story 
with food? And how might that be an access to recover even more of the narrow path that leads to life as it was meant to be? Holy Spirit, shine your light. 60 seconds. Explore the question here and now. And we'll be back together for another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast soon.